Hello and welcome to another uh, episode of Pittsburgh Sports Memories. On this uh, episode, we're going to do Pittsburgh's favorite sports traditions. As you know, lots of teams and cities around the country have uh, their and around the world, quite frankly, have their own traditions. And uh, but I don't think none are as quite as unique or as memorable as Pittsburgh. And um, well, I might be not objective about that. Might be a little biased since I grew up here and live here. (laughs) But uh, at least in this episode, we're going to cover all the different traditions that I could think of and or remember. And Tim. Help me, help me out. As usual, Tim Hannon is uh, joining me. I'm Steve Wirt. Yeah, yeah, this should be fun because there is a lot of good good traditions when you go through Pittsburgh sports history. Yes. So I kind of organized these into old or defunct, and I think I had current, and then I have timeless. So we'll start with the old and defunct. So <clears throat> there, um, if you're younger maybe you're one of those darn millennials we keep hearing about uh you know you probably might not be very familiar with this um the Steelers polka it was written written by a gentleman named Jimmy Pasulish I I, I'm my Greek is not that good so um I apologize to him uh he was a Greek immigrant to the United States in 1947 he actually changed his name to Jimmy Pohl and then he got uh, he got big in the radio. He ran his own radio station for a while, and uh, to capitalize on the Steelers' success in the uh, early to you know seventies, <clears throat> he uh, wrote a polka called the Steelers Polka, and the song goes to the tune of the Pennsylvania Polka, and um, I'm going to play this now. All right. Well, you get the get the idea that it's kind of just a name check kind of polka, but it, it is the Pennsylvania polka. Um, fun fun thing was uh, my wife's my wife's grandmother actually had that on a forty five record. <laughs> so, so we're really dating ourselves there. Um, you know, it's just kind of very Steeler. Like I remember the Houston Oilers had like a country music song for there. So it's very uh, fits the uh, you know the kind of the. Uh, I don't know what would you say the ethnicity of Pittsburgh there released back in the seventies, a lot of, a lot of great uh, polka and uh, Polish people and Germans and such like their polka music. So good times, good times are had. There was a remake by a group called Gene, the werewolf. I'm not going to play that. Cause I think it's horrible, but <laughs> there'll be links to all this on our, on our uh, website, which is uh Pittsburgh sports memories at what weebly.com. And, and Steve, I, I and, talked um, about this in a previous episode when we talked about the Steelers of the 80s. It was a fun song, but man, they played it forever. And all the way into like the late 80s, if we scored a touchdown, they would play this song. 
and it was so dated at that point. It's like it's you know Merrill Hodge or somebody would score a touchdown and they'd be like Franco and Lin Swan and you know it's like those guys <laughs> they never updated the they, I, I like those guys retired years ago yeah. like why are we still playing this song <laughs> well at least it made the lyrics easier to remember at least but um uh, uh poor uh, Jimmy Pohl uh, passed away in uh, 2012 he had a pretty cool obituary in the Post-Gazette uh, we'll try and link to that. Hopefully, it doesn't you don't get jammed up by the Post Gazette's paywall on that. But uh, uh, just a hint: clear your web browser if you ever do, because the Post Gazette isn't smart enough to uh, figure out a way to block that. So, <laughs> see, you get tips on how to save money here on the Pittsburgh Sports Memories podcast. <laughs> uh, mo- moving on, uh, the Pit Victory song. Um, it was uh, written with uh, lyrics in 1916. Um, the song has actual lyrics and uh, it has a part where it has like a whole bunch of lyrics, but at the one part it's what you're supposed to say fight pit fight. And this was written back in 1916 and it's been around forever and it kind of stayed fight pit fight until I would say the seventies when the uh, students started chanting Penn state sucks instead. So um, let me see if I can We'll get that to play right now. Maybe I can do it. I miss that so much. I miss saying that. I miss that part of the song. Yeah. So so what happened was that, that went on for like, what, 20 or 30 years. And in 2001, um, Steve Peterson, who was athletic director at the time, got embarrassed and uh, decided to demand, a, I guess, ordered the pit band to stop playing it. And I assume he did this while clutching his pearls and saying, oh, my goodness, or, well, I never, you know, or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> Yeah, and that's what they did. Like, they actually just cut out that part of the fight song. They still play the fight song, but they cut out that. Dun, 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 dun. Like, they just cut out that whole part. Yeah, yeah. And I guess they figured that was undignified for a University of Pitt's stature. And, um, you know, what a what a party pooper. And, yo, know, hey, it's better than what the West Virginia fans chant at Pitt games. So, yeah, that's true. <laughs> we, we use cleaner language at least and 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 it's back now right they play that part of the song now but i think now because there's no more rivalry with penn state it just kind of nobody ever says that anymore except us old timers yeah i don't know I and mean, it's uh i i whatever yeah who cares <laughs> let, let let the students have their fun but um Anyway, uh, another defunct tradition in the pit. And pit doesn't have very many like traditions that you know, are longstanding, but unfortunately, that's one of them that, that went away. <clears throat> um, another one that um, I guess this is 
like just an up. It was kind of like an update. You were complaining about the updated ver the Steelers polka. Well, in 1994, a gentleman named Roger Wood uh, wrote the song "Here We Go Steelers," and um, it's pretty much the same song all the time. But this time, instead of like the Franco and Harris, they updated it. It's not a polka. It's like a more of a modern song, and it's. It, they would just update the names. And I just, I remember them updating the names because at one part they say, you know, get three points off of Anderson slash Johnson slash Boswell's toe, you know, and, <laughs> and all the other kicker, I guess it was Reed and, you know, Peterson and whoever else we had as a kicker. <laughs> but uh, I think I have that one. Let me see. Oh, man. <laughs> Here we go. This is the most recent. Here we go. Well, not really. You'll hear why. Here we go. Steelers. Here we go. Pittsburgh. Going to the Super Bowl. Here we go. Cheer the Steelers. Back in the goal. Here we go. This town of Pittsburgh's heart and soul. Here we go. The Steeler Nation. Has the best fans. We are from Pittsburgh, the six-time Super Bowl champ. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Steelers, here we go. Pittsburgh's gone to the Super Bowl. Here we go. Coach Tomlin is ready to win. Here we go. With Johnson, Juju, Claypool, and Ben. Well, See, I had no idea they pretty, were still making this. Yeah, and, and the best part is they're gonna have to change it again because that's still a Connor in it. So <laughs> as of this is 2021, they'll have to go to Harris, Najee Harris will knock you around, I guess. So this guy's like gonna be in business forever. So <laughs> Uh, in 2005, they actually had to change the lyrics because it used to be, this will be the year we win the one for the thumb. And they had to change mm. it because we won one for the thumb. And I guess if I let the whole song play the whole way through, it says that we're going to win one for the other thumb now. So, uh, Oh, nice. That gives you some space there. You don't have to change it for a while. It's very <laughs> smart, very practical. Yeah, this song was so polarizing, Steve. I mean, and, and it's kind of faded now. I don't. I like I said, I had no idea they were still making it. I, I would say it's it's definitely not as part of the consciousness as it used to be. But do you remember like in the nineties, especially, I felt like that song was so polarizing. Like people were either loved it or hated it. I only I, I don't remember anybody hating it, but I remember like a, a guy we remember Seth we went to high school with, he was a Browns fan. Mm-hmm. And uh and and I, I remember like I had the I gave him a ride somewhere and it came on and I remember like blasting like my radio just to, <laughs> just to be annoying. <laughs> but you know me, uh, I'm ever the pot stirrer, I guess. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I guess uh, Roger uh, will be there in the business forever there and he doesn't want to make these anymore but i don't hear like used to hear it on like b94 or what would it be like star 100.7 or 96.1 not that i don't really listen to 96.1 anymore i guess i'm too old for that so i don't know if they still play that or 
what yeah i i i have not heard it a lot to the radio anymore that's true yeah yeah i mean who listened to the radio everybody listened to podcasts. that's right that's what they should be doing (laughs) especially this one yeah um um, another another great uh thing of the tradition of the past was uh and this kind of is current but not really i I still list it as like old i always consider it kind of old or not done anymore playing we are family so uh it's it was the late 70s it was the disco baby i was like four years old tim was like what two maybe one uh uh uh, platform shoes were in style. Disco stew was boogieing down, and Studio Four, uh, Studio Fifty Four, was uh, wrapping up its run. <laughs> Meanwhile, on the on the baseball season uh, of the '79, the Pirates were uh, nine games out of first place, and uh, all that changed when Willie Stargell uh, made the team song "We Are Family" by Sister Sledge, and our good old Pirates boogied all the way to a World Series win. Fun facts about Sister Sledge is um, they're an RB quartet of actual sisters, Debbie, Joni, Kim, and Kathy. They're all from Philadelphia. Uh, this was their biggest hit, peaking at number two on the Billboard Pop Charts, number one on the RB charts. That's my best Casey Kasem there. Uh, and they, they actually sang the national anthem in front of 45,000 people in Three River Stadium at the opener, I think, the following season. So. And the song is briefly played after Take Me Out to the Ball Game during the seventh inning stretch at PNC Park. After they play, you'll hear it like ever so briefly, but they don't play it very long. So I guess it's still kind of around, but not really. That song, I mean, unlike some of the future ones we're going to talk about on this list, it, that was really associated with one team, that 79 team. Like, like you really, it was never associated with any of the other teams. Not that any other other teams ever won anything after that, but but had the Pirates, even those teams they had in the early '90s, like that song just wasn't associated with the, with those teams. It was always that '79 team. So, I th- I think that's kind of where it'll forever stay. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely um, like some of the other ones you'll see on this list, like are should we say borrowed or we'll say shared? Will be nice shared with other cities and such. So. Um, you'll see kind of like that as we go on that uh, maybe not all these traditions are uniquely Pittsburgh completely, but um, we've kind of put our own twist on them and made it our own. Um, I don't remember if anybody will remember this except for me, but I remember this. Um, in Three River Stadium, after the Pirates would win, um, the scoreboard would play um, that last clip from The Wizard of Oz here. I, I actually have this one here. no place like home okay and it it would always like i always thought that was i don't know when my my 10 year old self thought that was pretty cool because like then it would put like the end like they have like little the end credit and the music from the wizard of oz so it was just a cool way to end a uh pirate game i i I do they now they play some like pirate song at the end of the game that uh I did not include on our list of traditions because I don't think it's all that great of a tradition. But <laughs> if it's a song that they only play after a win, then I'm guessing you probably don't hear it a whole lot. 
these days? <laughs> yeah, probably not. Another another great uh, thing they used to kind of do at the uh, at the Pirates game was um, now this you might have heard more. I don't know, but the Pirates were good back then. So um, if the Pirates were down a couple runs late in the game, like before the ninth inning, I also remember the scoreboard playing. And this was a heavily edited version of this of uh, Bluto's speech from Animal House by John Belushi. And I cannot include a clip of this because there is a lot more swearing in it than I remember. <laughs> I, I, I was watching as I was prepping for that. I was like, wow, there's a lot of swearing in this. But it's still the funniest line is, you know, was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? And he's like, what? It's like, don't stop him. He's on a roll, you know? <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> But just a classic speech by John Belushi. He's definitely the uh, funnier Belushi than uh, than Jim Belushi. But um, it, it maybe not as successful as uh, some as Renegade later on there. But um, hey, it couldn't have hurt, right? <laughs> Do you remember either of those, Tim, at all from from the games at all? Am I? I don't remember the Wizard of Oz thing. Yeah, I don't remember the Wizard of Oz thing, but I I vaguely remember Animal House because I because at the time I didn't really know what that movie was. You know, I I think I might have known who John Belushi was, but I I didn't know I'd never seen Animal House, so I remember thinking like I don't know what that is, but it seems kind of funny because <laughs> it was just like him yelling, "Let's do it!" Let, yeah, mm-hmm. so. Well, that's the uh, moving on to the uh, stuff that is currently going on with the old buckos here, or not buckos, but traditions. But the first one is a pirate tradition that they will say share with a couple other teams in baseball. So in 1999, the pirates started having people in pierogi costume costumes race around the outfield track, just in case anybody's confused. Those aren't like like somehow genetically engineered pierogies with legs that there's people inside those costumes. So it's become a hit, an instant hit, and it's become a tradition ever since. Um, just in case you were curious what the names of the pierogies were, there's a potato Pete, jalapeno Hannah, uh, cheese Chester, sauerkraut saw, and Oliver, the highly intelligent Oliver Onion, and Bacon Burt and Pizza Penny. And I think Bacon Burt and Pizza Penny are kind of new. And uh, Potato Pete is retired because he, I guess he cheats too much, but he had to come out of retirement because uh, I forget what year, I think it was in 2015 or 2014, uh, the Cheese Chester broke their foot during a race and uh, the Pirates actually literally put them on a 15 day disabled list and a Chief Sester had to go to Altoona for rehab. I'm not making that up. He literally ran a, ran a race against some other thing they do in Altoona. So, uh, Chief Sester, I don't know if he won his rehab race or not or what place, but the Pirates uh, reactivated him from the disabled list, and uh, Potato Pete went back into the uh, freezer. They locked him in a freezer because he was cheating too much. So, um, like I said, <laughs> if you remember, um, they race uh, sausages in Milwaukee and they race presidents in uh, Washington for the Nationals. And, uh, of course, the infamous incident in you know, Milwaukee where Randall Simon hit the top of a <clears throat> sausage. There's not really a person's head there, but the Milwaukee DA totally overreacted to that. But um, I guess the pierogies go up to Milwaukee 
and I don't know if they return the favor and come back here and they race, you know, if there's like a home and home or how they work the scheduling on that. But um, the pierogies race the sausages and they also race the uh, presidents. And uh, I think in Washington, Teddy Roosevelt never wins. Is that the, there's one of the presidents who never wins in that, that race. So I, I don't know. Um, I do remember this distinctly is that when I went to the military bowl in 2015 between Pitt and Navy, they um, had the um, pierogies and the presidents race each other at halftime. So like they ran all the way across the football field. Nice. I don't remember. I think, I think one of the pierogies did win that race. And, um, and I really tried really hard. I really did do about five different Google searches on this. And I could not find a uh, statistics on which pierogi is the all-time wins leader. So I don't know, like, what good is the internet if you don't have that information? <laughs> That's the kind of, I mean, I'm not looking for, like, the boiling point of water at sea level here. I want to know which pierogi is the <laughs> all-time wins leader in pierogi race history, right? And you know somebody's tracking it somewhere. I couldn't find it. If somebody finds it, please let me know. Cause I would love to know like who is the all times win leader. It's probably, I think it's Oliver onion because he's highly intelligent. So, <laughs> but uh, I mean, that's just always good fun and it's very Pittsburgh and you know, I've run into people who didn't know what a pierogi was. Mm. Have, have you ever had that? Like, I, like, how do you not? Well, I mean, if you've never, I mean, I, I've, and, and that's kind of a unique food because I've run into people that don't know what like a hoagie is, you know, but they know what a sub is. Like they have different names for it than we have locally, but I, but yeah, I mean, pierogi, I mean, it's, it's one of those foods. I don't know. If it's that common. I mean, how many restaurants, how many cane restaurants can you go to ones that are like over the country, like Applebee's, how many, how many cane <laughs> restaurants can you go to and order pierogies? Well, you know what they they call it a wonton, which is really just a, you know, uh, a Japanese pierogi, Chinese pierogi, <laughs> basically. I mean, it's it's meat wrapped in dough. You know, it's 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 not that revolutionary. I mean, it, I guess it is to some people. And Mrs. T's, I didn't realize Mrs. T's is a regional brand. I didn't. Know. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. I don't I don't think it's I don't think that's a food that that doesn't surprise me. I guess is what I'm saying. Well, yeah, we had some friends from Michigan, and we we're like, "Oh yeah, you want pierogies?" And they're like, "What's a pierogi?" And me and my wife looked at me like, "What? Huh?" Yeah, I mean, what there, now? <laughs> there's people I've come across people that didn't know what wedding soup was. I mean, there's all kinds of things that you just think that I've eaten that my whole life here in Pittsburgh, and so everybody else would probably know what that is, and they don't always. Yeah, I, I'm not sure what the what was going on there. So um, next uh, up, uh, another tradition that's, um, I guess this is more recent. So uh, Justin Acherno was the director of, director of ticket marketing for Pitt football in 2008. And you talk about a tough job. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that's right up there with, uh, you know, I don't know. What's a tough job? Nuclear scientist? I don't know. I know. <laughs> genetics some sort of genetic neurology i mean something he's really smart to do that so he brainstormed with some fans and came up with an idea of playing the 1970 hit song by uh, neil diamond sweet caroline in between the third and fourth quarters and this would be um they they actually put the lyrics up so people knew to sing along i I was there the first time they did and everybody was kind of confused but i would say within like a minute everybody kind of jumped in and started singing along with it 
but um <clears throat> so and they replaced um the one party goes bum 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 with let's go pit so i mean it's it's pretty cool um Pitt actually played the song for a first time in a home football game and they were actually losing the Buffalo at that point. And Pitt came back and won the game 27 to 16. So that entrenched it there. Um, I remember one time I was at a wedding and they played sweet Caroline and everybody chanted the let's go Pitt and go pit go at part. So that, that was pretty cool. Um, Unfortunately, in 2016, another like much like Steve Pearson, another athletic director got too smart for their own good. Heather like changed it from being played after the third quarter to any time during the game. And um, now they the official word is this is to any time they felt student uh, fan engagement was lacking or the team needed a boost. Like they tried to try and make it into like a, a renegade type thing. But the real reason was we were all being punished because uh, because we all uh, there was a game against Oklahoma State. Actually, Mason Rudolph was the quarterback where they were like beating Pitt by like 40 points by the by the halftime. And everybody left after Sweet Caroline in the third quarter, uh, you know, in between the third and, you know, I guess Heather didn't like that. So people okay. would have definitely stuck around. Had you, um, you know, played it in the fourth quarter? <laughs> like yeah, yeah just to an empty stadium right. of like whatever amount of oklahoma state fans were left you know yeah that's overthinking that one a little bit yeah yeah uh, other teams use this song this is another like shared tradition the, the most overly the boston red sox which kind of makes me ugh. but you know it's a the pit one i i don't know i like i like the pit version so did we have it first or did they uh, I think they they probably had it first. Okay, so so your marketing director that's all smart maybe kind of just reused an idea that the Boston Red Sox already had. Is that what you're saying? Well, I don't know if he's all smart. I just said he had a tough job. <laughs> you compared him to a nuclear tickets, scientist. Like <laughs> I mean – that's a tough job. I mean, doesn't mean you're good at it. I mean, the guy that was running Chernobyl had a tough job. Doesn't mean he was good at it. <laughs> it still doesn't make the job any easier. <laughs> uh, touche. <laughs> but uh, nuclear accidents aside, and I mean, I could say, you know, it's like selling, you know, ice to, you know, I want to say, you know, Inuits, but Ecuador. I'm just going to say ice to Eskimos or cold to, you know, Africa or whatever, you know, up there with that. But um, moving on, uh, the, the song Renegade, we've mentioned it a couple of times. This has definitely become a huge Pittsburgh tradition. And this is still, they still play this at the games right today, right? Yes. Well, when there's people there, again, hopefully they will. <laughs> okay. Let me see. Uh, Renegade, um, it's a stick songs. Um, they have like a little video they play to get the fans and the players hyped up during the game. Um, the song actually peaked in 1979 at 16 on the Billboard charts. And, um, and it's the last song that is normally played at a Sticks concert. Um, so it was never really that big of a hit. It just kind of like taken take on a life of its own because of like the Steelers being so popular. I would say the opposite is of like selling Steeler tickets. If you're the director of Steeler ticket marketing, it would be the easiest job in the world. It's the opposite <laughs> of pit ticket. Market. I mean, it's just like, Hey, do you want some Steeler tickets? 
yes. <laughs> and there's like millions of people who want them, you know, so that's a pretty easy sell there. Um, and uh, here's a, a little clip of the um, Renegade song. Oh, mama, I'm in fear for my life from the long arm of the law. Lawman is putting into my running and I'm so far from my home. Oh, mama, I can hear you crying. You're so scared and all alone. Hangman is coming down from the gallows and I don't have very long. Okay, yeah, if that didn't get you pumped up for the uh, Steelers' defense to go on the field, nothing will. Um, <clears throat> the Pens actually played their a version of – well, it's still Renegade, but they put, like, their highlights before the stadium series against the Flyers. What Do you remember what year was that when they played in Heinz Field? Was that uh, – um, I was at that game. I want to say 2018, some, somewhere around there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they actually – I guess because the Steelers, they and they had, like – I have a video of that, but it's like a fan video. So I'm not going to share that one because it, it's just like a bunch of fans like yelling and screaming, but it's real pretty cool. Um, uh, would you say that I've heard you say this before judicious use of this song, you know, it's an important talk about a, you know, a, a diff, an important job, at least, uh, you know, outside of, you know, engineering, you know, running a nuclear power plant is probably running the uh, deciding when to play renegade in the Steeler game. Because I mean, you you could decide the outcome of the game. It it yeah you you there there were a few times where they um they played it and had like magical powers and I, and I want to say that 2008 season was probably one of the ones. I mean, I, they played it. They were playing Baltimore at home, and uh, we were down by two scores, and they played it, and and Lamar Woodley got like a fumble return touchdown right after that. On defense, they played it uh, the Dallas game that year where the Shea Townsend picked off Tony Romo in the final seconds, pick six to win the game. And then the AFC championship where Troy picked off Flacco. I mean, there was definitely some, it had like magical powers at that point. And then into the next decade when the defense was kind of not anywhere near where it had been, you know, they'd play it and everybody be on their feet and screaming. And then like the other team would just kind of drive down the field and get like a bunch of first downs and score a touchdown. And it'd be like, Oh, so, you oh, know, mama. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's, yeah. it's definitely a good, like it, it, when you're at the game, you know, it's coming because they, they turn off the scoreboards. Like usually they have ads and stuff going and everything gets like dark uh, on the screens everything like the, everything just turns off and everybody just starts rising to their feet. Cause they know that means renegades coming. And, and it, it just, it, it like jacks up the whole crowd. And it's, I, I was, I was in favor of retiring it. I've been in favor of retiring it, but I, at this point I'm kind of okay. Keeping it around just cause it's fun. It just doesn't have the magic that it used to have. 
And it's kind of like that Steelworks Polka song where, yeah, it didn't have, didn't like name players from that era. It wasn't like Aaron Smith and James Ferrier. Like it didn't have their names in the song, like the Polka song. But it has that same kind of thing where it's like, yeah, this this was really about those teams and those defenses. Um, so I don't know. I, I'm kind of ambivalent at this point because it's still a fun song and it and it really gets the crowd going, really gets the players going. It's it it's fun. Yeah, and I I, I think it's single handedly responsible for the trip to Super Bowl forty three because it's you know, definitely. And I wonder if Tony Romo predicted his interception you know, <laughs> when, when, before he threw it to the Shea Towns. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna throw a pick right to the Shea Towns in here. Well, a fun fact about that play is <clears throat> he actually mocked the Steelers' defense called a timeout before that play, and he like was uh, couldn't believe it. He was saying like to the to players, "You guys called a timeout because Dallas was trying to drive in the final seconds. The game was tied." And he's like, "Why would you call a timeout, dummies?" And then he threw a pick six on the next play. Well, who's the dummy now? I guess the guy making six figures to like watch a football game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's, yeah. He's really dumb. Yeah. yeah. yeah he's yeah. what an idiot that guy is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, moving on from uh, an, an analyst turned golfers slash quarterbacks. Um, the penguins our first penguins one <clears throat> the penguins uh goal songs and they've had a few of them that i can remember i don't know if they had any back in the 70s or what they were but um i don't even remember any in the 80s i was i didn't go to very many i went to a few penguins games but not that many but i remember um blur song two it's like woohoo people call it the woohoo song and uh liverpool football club has that as a goal song a lot of teams use that song. I, I I guess I don't know why they. Well, I know why they changed to this song. Now the song they had before that in the '90s was uh, a song by Gary Glitter, and it's called "Rock and Roll Song Part 2. And most people just call it the Hey Song. We'll uh, here we'll play a little bit of that song for you now. All right, uh, yeah, that's uh, Gary Glitter. Um, his song, his, his part two song, really wasn't that big of a hit. It was a uh, they're a British band, and um, it, until it became a goal song in the NHL and minor league hockey games, and it was like really played by everybody that that Hey song. And um, this it, Gary Glitter had quite the little like cottage industry out of just like you know all these teams playing the song. I guess he got rights but um unfortunately uh gary glitter had a um a uh what a, i don't know how to put it he he got himself in some trouble with uh, underage uh people doing uh not very nice things um so uh the nhl actually banned his song from being used you're not allowed to play that as a goal song in the nhl so that's i mean that's probably big that and the scandal was a big reason that the penguins had to switch to blur song too so after that, the uh, Penguins went to uh, Andrew WK Party Hard, and that was from like 2015 to 2019. And I think people really liked that. And um, but then they switched in 2019 to Jump Around for some reason. 
I don't know why. Maybe they just thought of it for four years, but then they brought it back because I guess everybody liked that Andrew WK song. So I I don't know. Uh, I, I I always remember more of the Hey song after goals than the uh, you know House of Pain song, but or or you know Andrew WK. Yeah, I, I remember that too. That was that was that was a shame that that went away, and and I know why it didn't. It makes sense, but. It's still a shame that it went away because that's the song that I think a lot of Pens fans will always associate with the team more so than any of the other ones, like you said. And, and a fun thing and an interesting thing is like you don't hear that song at all, except I went and saw the movie Joker with Joaquin Phoenix. And in that movie, they have a clip where he like dances around like as the Joker, like when he's like descending into his like madness to the hay song and i couldn't believe they played it during the movie because i imagine they had to pay gary glitter for that i mm. mean you can't just use a song i i mean that i could when it was happening i said i can't believe they're doing this but hey that i mean he really like stuck it to him so he could have like retired off that money you know <laughs> but uh you know his loss is andrew wk's gain i guess so <laughs> Staying with the uh, Penguins theme, um, the Sid, uh, uh, these are more Sidney Crosby superstitions. Um, he wears the, uh, he, he's been, he always does this. He wears the same hat for post-game interviews and practice. And like, um, you can look at like, has like all kinds of like sweat stains and stuff on it. And there's actually was an interesting story. The one year he had um, gotten, Sid was supposed to have a meeting with like, I guess, like kids that are like had, you know illnesses like cancer and such and he had gotten sick and hadn't made it and the one kid he was supposed to hang out with in bowl um gave a hat and the hat made it to sid and sid made that his hat for the whole season and you can see like it'd be funny if you could do like like a progression from like october to whenever they're out of the playoffs like the deterioration of that hat but um it's always something i always thought was pretty interesting it's uh pretty gross but um, like I said, I have my pirates hat and I've had this for like 10 years and I kind of in the same situation was said, I'm kind of superstitious about it. So I always think it kind of brings me good luck. So, although I haven't won any, uh, you know, Stanley cups or anything, but, uh, not yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You never know. You never know. Uh, um, touching the Prince of Wales trophy, which is, is an interesting one. Um, the Prince of Wales trophy is awarded to the team that wins the Eastern conference and makes the Stanley cup finals. Um, most teams have a superstition of not touching it, but um, the penguins in 91 and 92, uh, Mario and all the guys like were totally all over the Prince of Wales trophy and they won the cup final both times. So in 2008, um, Crosby stuck with the tradition of not touching it. And of course they lost in the final that year so in the next year when they went back and they touched the cup they touched the prince of wales trophy and of course that's the memorable run where you know mark Andre Fleury makes the save in game seven you know we i think we yes we covered that season in a uh, pod uh previous podcast so but uh it's become now i guess it's a penguin tradition to always touch the prince of wales trophy so 
Um, a fun fact about the Prince of Wales trophy. It's actually named after Edward VIII, the King of England, for like one year. He was the Prince of Wales in 1925 when the trophy was created. And an even more fun fact about Edward VIII was he was a Nazi sympathizer who abdicated the crown to marry a socialite from Baltimore named Wallace Simpson. So if you haven't tell, I've uh, watched a lot of The Crown. So. <laughs> That was a that was part of the plot line in that um, King's Speech movie too, because that's yes. why that's why George became king was because his brother advocated. Well, that's why we have Queen Elizabeth now because if that right. never would have happened, I mean, right? I don't know if him and Wallace Simpson would have had any kids, but oh well. Well, that's enough about British uh, monarchy. I guess <laughs> <laughs> the British monarchy part of our podcast is now over. <laughs> You'll learn about Henry Henry the Eighth later. <laughs> um, now we're going to go to the timeless ones. These are the ones that are probably going to be around for long after I have shuffled off this mortal coil. Tim might still be here to uh, to, to doing the podcast, but um. These ones are uh, probably some of my favorites. And um, this is one of my personal favorites. I know a lot lot of people know about this, but it's one of my personal favorites. I just kind of have a personal connection with this. Um, The the Cathedral of Learning in Oakland is a tall skyscraper. It's 535 feet tall, and it has 42 stories. It's also done in a gothic, gothic style. It houses some pit classroom and has these national nationality rooms, which in like full disclosure i've never been to it's kind of like one of those things you always like oh yeah i'm gonna do that someday and then you just never do it so so uh yeah um it looks like some sort of like somebody like time traveled like a medieval tower from like you know the you know medieval times to us so no word on whether you have to eat your chicken with your hands while you're in there but um um the pit has like these lights that light up the top and they they only turn them on after when Pitt wins a big football or basketball game or a national championship which you can figure um yeah those lights haven't been turned on too much (laughs) and actually a fun story I was reading about while researching this is they have another light that goes like a blue light that goes up as part of the victory lights and like somebody was like, oh, you got to like turn it off after so long because the birds get disoriented in it. I'm like, what, whatever. But um, yeah, it, it's just a really cool tradition that, um, you know, like I said, given the current state of pit athletics probably doesn't happen too often. So it's a cool, it's a cool building. That, yeah. I, I knew, I knew they turned on the lights. I didn't, I didn't remember what like had to prompt that. But but you're right. It's a it's a very cool building and um, definitely one that you know anybody that's visiting that area should go check out. I I had a couple of classes in there when I was at Pitt, and uh, it was just neat to be in the building. Well, you've been in the building more than I have, so. <laughs> well, I had to be something. so. <laughs> you know, I can't I can't <laughs> say that I that I went in there as like a a tourist. I I was taking classes, and that's where they told me to go. So. Well, did the bathroom stalls still don't have any doors? Right. When I went there, the the men's bathroom on the it was on like the third floor or something. Yes, did not have any doors on the stalls. That was that was twenty years still ago. Amazing. So I I do not know if that has changed or not. It's I amazing. cannot vouch. A more personal story, and I 
I don't know. I was saying I'm debating. I'm just gonna tell it. It's 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 a it's a cool story and it means a lot to me. And is you can follow this under cool story, bro. Um I was I, I was very um I, I had an illness and I was in the hospital and uh, the room I was in I was in Shadyside Hospital and so the room I was in was facing the Cathedral of Learning and at that time Pitt was playing so that would make this 2019 probably like September yeah definitely September they're playing uh, Central Florida which isn't a huge rival but they really killed Pitt the year before and this was they were ranked I think they were in the top ten. But they came to Heinz Field, and that was the uh, Pitt special. They beat Pitt on the – they basically stole a page out of the Philly-Philadelphia playbook, and they ran the Pitt special with Kenny Pickett catching a touchdown, the game-clutching touchdown. I remember watching – I was looking out my window, calling my mom, going, oh, my God, they're going to turn on the lights. They're going to turn up. I guess the clock ticked down there, all the lights came on. It was just really cool, and they kind of cheered me up when I wasn't feeling too good, so – that that's a that's probably why that tradition means a little bit more to me probably than it should to the general public but hey whatever yeah that's a that's a really good story steve and a lot better of a one than i thought you were going to tell when you said maybe i shouldn't tell this immediately following a conversation about bathroom stalls so (laughs) (laughs) well it's definitely more inspirational than bathroom stalls or the lack of doors why would they put doors on i don't know i don't know yeah i mean it probably made me feel a little like more you know upbeat and stuff you know so it was i i still that's one of my favorite often i yeah in the future spoiler one of these podcasts we're gonna do like my favorite sports and that's definitely that game and i'm gonna go into more detail in that podcast but I was kind of saving that story for that podcast, but oh well, my excitement got the better of me. Um, <laughs> happens a lot now. Uh, um, another cool tradition is the color coordinated black and gold for all the pro sports teams. So the black and gold color scheme, it comes from the coat of arms from William Pitt, the elder, the former prime minister of England. And that's actually who Pitt is named after, not Pitt the younger, who is also prime minister of England. I know we're learning much more about English politics than we ever wanted to today, but um, hey, you know, school's in session. Um, there is a funny uh, Simpsons clip where Barney and Wade Boggs argue over who's the better, um, you know, prime minister of England, him or uh, I think it's Lord Palmerston. So. <laughs> Um, Art, Art Rooney was the first to use the colors for the Steelers when he founded them in 1933, which leads to an absolute, you think the Bumblebee uniforms are bad. You should see that uniform. Whew, that's, that's, that's an ouch. Uh, in 1948, the Penguins were, or the, not the Penguins, the Pirates were red, white, and blue, and they changed their colors to black and gold. And then from 1967 to 1980, the Penguins actually wore those cool navy blue and white ones. But in 1980, they switched to black and gold. And so in 1980, Pittsburgh, and since 1980, as far as I know, Pittsburgh's the only town where all the professional sports teams' colors are coordinated and the same. Black and gold, the city's colors. So, and it just looks cool. So I, you know, not all other cities, I guess, can say that. I don't know what the other colors of those other cities are, but black and gold, everybody seems to work well for us. <laughs> it is, it is a cool tradition that you, you just say the black and gold, and it could be referring to to any Pittsburgh sports team, even though even though the gold's really yellow. We'll that's to, okay. we'll to put it. It's on the crest of 
the city of Pittsburgh too, like whatever mm-hmm. crest we have. So it's kind of cool. Um, another, like, this is a very well-known tradition. Um, uh, the terrible towel. It was created by broadcaster Myron Cope for a playoff game in 1975 against the Baltimore Colts. And um, another interesting thing is all the proceeds from the sale are donated to the Allegheny Valley school. And uh, this school cares, cares for people who have mental and physical disabilities. Um, after that, the introduction of the towel, the Steelers went on to win the playoff game again. They won that game against the Colts, and then they won that the Super Bowl that year over the Cowboys. So it's just become like part of the fan base, man. Everybody has a terrible towel, and uh, Steeler fans really have like you know kind of they take them everywhere. They go to you know Mount Everest, Afghanistan. You know, you can see them at your cousin's wedding. You know, next to the cookie table. You know, so. <laughs> It's it's just a really cool thing. Um, I only get mine out for the big games, for the AFC Championship game, the Super Bowl. But um, I went my super my terrible towel went like one for three early on, so I think mine was broken. I, I don't know. Maybe I should have returned it for a new one. But um, maybe I got a dud terrible towel. I don't know. But um, <laughs> they lost Super Bowl thirty and everything. Um, this is this is one where um, every like where like Sweet Caroline and the pierogi races like we're kind of copying up our other people. Now everybody's copied this off of us. Ha ha! Take that, sports fans. So because uh, everywhere you look now, every team has like some sort of towel with their team's logo on it and all that. Um, I went to the military bowl once again, and at that game they actually I think I still have that towel. They have them that they gave, uh, it was said the military bowl on it, and they gave you a little towel. Um, a few teams they have uh, chosen to disrespect the terrible towel, and it always seems to lead to disastrous consequences. Bad things happen, man. Bad things. Um, of course, most famously was TJ Hushmanzada. Um, so the Bengals, after he, he after a win in Pittsburgh, he shined his shoes with the terrible towel, and then Carson Palmer paid the price by breaking his knee, and they lost the playoff game. So, uh, Lendell White and Keith Bullock, um, they like stomped on a terrible towel when they were blowing out the Steelers during a regular season game, and they actually, I think they lost the they lost their playoff game when they were like the number one seed. So uh, things really didn't work out too well for Tennessee. Also, uh, Jacksonville mascot, Jackson Deville. So I guess he was like, you know, disrespect. I think he was like just like stomping on it and stuff. So he, he uh, Jacksonville was leading. And then when he did that, they lost the game and went on a losing streak after that. So that might have just been like Jacksonville not being very good. I, I, I don't know that that had anything to do with the terrible towel. Is your ter- is your terrible towel in full functioning order, Tim? It is, and and like you, it has it has mixed results. And and like you, I probably have only brought it out for the bigger games. I don't know that I break it out for just any any game. Um, I think I still have my. I think the one I have is actually from like the inaugural season of Heinz Field. So that one's definitely seen somewhere in tear over the years. And I think I brought it to the Super Bowl with me too. So. When I when I was fortunate enough to to attend Super Bowl forty, so it's 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 gotten some travel. I think I brought it to some other countries too. I brought it to places like Italy and Thailand and 
it was one of those yinzers that you know took a picture in front of like the David statue with my terrible tower or whatever. So nice. Did you make the David statue decent with it? Like oh. that's that's exactly what I did actually. <laughs> yeah, really? <laughs> yes. I, I didn't know that. Yeah. I, I, yes. Yes. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yep. <laughs> that's incredible. That's that's a, <laughs> now that's a cool story. <laughs> Uh, another another great tradition that um, our city has, and that uh, just just a great thing, uh, fireworks. So uh, if, if you've lived around here for any amount of time, we shoot fireworks off for any reason at all, absolute any. You know, pirates after home runs, July Fourth, your kid's eighth birthday. If it's an event, it ain't an event until the fireworks are going off. Uh, the Pirates actually have a whole fireworks night called Sky Blast. And in 1984, I was there the night the fireworks exploded in the stands at the River Stadium. It was it was horrific. I was, like, young, too. I was, like, in third grade. I remember that. And now, uh, I don't know. Yeah, there you go. I've, maybe explains, like, uh, why I am the way I am. I saw, like, people, people burning with fireworks when I was very young. So, uh, Pitt football even had a fireworks night. Um, and also the the Riverhounds, the the minor league soccer team, they they actually schedule a game on July fourth or whatever. You know, sometimes they have it on the third. Whatever the fireworks for the city of Pittsburgh are, they schedule because the way their stadium is, is you can see the fireworks perfectly from their stadium. So it's like whoever is doing, maybe Justin Acherno is doing the marketing for the ticket marketing for the Riverhounds because he's smart enough to schedule that game around then. Um, I think uh, Pittsburgh in general, we're probably keeping the Zambellis up there in Newcastle in business. Um, at the 250th year celebration, they actually had 17 different locations around the city shooting fireworks off. I remember they like two barges on each of the rivers, and I guess there was like some on the bridges, and it was it was just everywhere. Um, there's a great we have a great clip we're going to link to about Atari fireworks night. Um, it's Chuck Tanner talking about the uh, Atari fireworks night. Here we go. Fans, the Pirates and Atari have done a super job in bringing some fantastic fireworks displays to Three Rivers this year. This is Chuck Tanner inviting you to the final Atari fireworks night on Saturday, August the 21st. We'll be meeting the tough Dodgers at 7.05. Then after that, Atari will present a fireworks display you people won't forget. Make your plans today and join us on Atari Fireworks Night, Saturday, August 21st. Call 323-1150. Everything about that commercial is dated. You know, the the Atari and giving the phone number without the area code. I like the Stargell stars on uh, Tanner's hat. So, <laughs> of course, that was when the drug, the drug trials were kicking off there, so... There was an alternate version of that commercial um, where it was like Dale Barra and and I don't know Lee Mazzilli. There was like two two Pirates players like secretly like playing Atari Twenty Six Hundred in the locker room, and Tanner like walks in on them. I'm, I'm sure that's on YouTube that, somewhere too. Not, yeah, yeah, not for yeah. the cocaine yeah. thing, right? <laughs> playing Atari—that's a problem. <laughs> uh so some honorable mentions. Uh, we're not going to go over these in too detail. Um, we also have the history of Zambelli fireworks, if you're really into that. Uh, we'll link that up on our website also. 
Um, the parking lot's looking like a landfill after the Kenny Chesney concert. <laughs> uh, rain during the Three Rivers uh, Arts Festival. Like, you know, if, you know, in parts of the country where they have a drought, they should just move the Three Rivers Arts Festival there and they'll take care of their problem. Uh, almost 100 years of one-party rule in Pittsburgh. <laughs> we haven't had a Republican mayor since, what, 1933? <laughs> I think so. Something like that. Uh, cookie tables at weddings. I didn't know that wasn't, that was like a Western Pennsylvania thing until I went to like another, it's like, where's the cookies? What? (laughs) Uh, Breaking for absolutely no reason going into a tunnel, especially the Squirrel Hill Tunnel. Like, it's just like all the cars, like half the cars disappear or something when you go there. Um, Some were ill-conceived. One was something called the Pittsburgh Great Race. It's not the Pittsburgh Great Race, the Pittsburgh Great Race. And it was like kind of like they tried to play off like the pierogi race pit and they had like Larry Fitzgerald, Mike Ditka, I think Dan Marino and Tony Dorsett like costumes and people would run across the football field. It was it was a horrible idea. So I think they got rid of it. And uh, and of course, the infamous uh, Heather like idea, maybe Justin Acherno wasn't there to talk her out of it. Uh, giving away a free drink at a blowout loss pit game to entice people to stay for the second half. That was a part that was part of like, besides getting punished with taking away sweet Caroline, she tried to entice everybody. Like, hey, if you stay to watch, like, cause it was like a really hot day. If you stay to watch like pit lose by like 40, you get a free pop. Woo hoo. You know, never mind if you bought like a pop with the free refill, you already have it, but Anyway, not to besmirch our wondrous athletic director any more than I have today. Those are great traditions. If you have any more, feel free to, uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> let us know on, on Twitter. So um, anything else, any traditions that I missed there, Tim? Um, blaming the coaches for every loss in Steeler history. Does that count? There you go. The offensive coordinator stinks. Right. There you go. Well, um, thank you for joining us. Uh, and hopefully, uh, yeah, you'll enjoy all these traditions and we'll enjoy them uh, far into the future. Um, we'll catch you next time on Pittsburgh Sports Memories. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.